Behind everything we know about optimizing dairy cow health and performance is a scientist who tirelessly pursued the question, why? And when it comes to the role of amino acids in the dairy cow diet, Dr. Chuck Schwab, professor emeritus from New Hampshire State University, was once that young graduate student who started asking why, and he has yet to stop. Join me on the journey today as I sit down with Dr. Schwab at the Adiseo VIP Dairy Seminar on this Uplevel Dairy Podcast. This is the podcast for dairy farm owners, managers, and advisors who are committed to profitability, sustainability, and excellence. I'm Peggy Coffeen, and it's my mission to bring you the conversations that will uplevel your skill set and your mindset so you can be a top performer in the dairy farming business. And this special episode is made possible by our sponsor, Adiseo, a global leader in animal nutrition and premier provider of rumen methionine for dairy producers who want to capture the value of components and maintain the health of their high-performing herds. Peggy Coffeen here with Uplevel Dairy, and we're at the Adiseo VIP sales meeting, and I have with me Dr. Chuck Schwab, Professor Emeritus from New Hampshire State University, and really a founding father of amino acids and a lot of the early work in dairy cattle nutrition. So welcome. Thank you. <laughs> and so, so Dr. Schwab, you had some time yesterday at this meeting to be able to really talk about the history of your work. And, and it's so much bigger than methionine and your work, you know, direct with Adiseo. It's really a, a, an industry impact. So can you just walk us through what are some of the highlights of your career from your graduate student days to where you're at now? Well, <clears throat> I think my graduate school days were definitely, it was just an experience I would never trade. Yeah. You know, I developed an interest in the subject as an undergraduate, and I fully understood why it had not advanced to ruminant nutrition. Mm. understood that. But yet, <clears throat> I thought I saw an opportunity there opportunity wouldn't be as huge as in swine and poultry because of the rumen and rumen bacteria and protozoa, knowing that they, you know, provided amino acids to the cows. And that we probably weren't going to change amino acid composition of the microflora in the rumen as a result of diet all that much, even though I did think there might be some opportunity there. But, you know, we knew enough about ruminant protein metabolism at the time to know that there was there were significant amounts of protein from the feedstuffs that we fed that would resist ruminal degradation and be available for digestion and absorption in the lower gut. And so the amino acid composition of them then would have an impact on the amino acid composition of the protein, the total protein making it to small intestine. So I really felt there was an opportunity there. I was puzzled as an undergraduate why that hadn't been really pursued. Mm -hmm. But then once I got into graduate school and I realized all the challenges of trying to understand rune and protein metabolism and how to measure things and lack of technique, not knowing what techniques to use, what markers to use. So I really got involved in that in terms of my master's work and helping other graduate students and lab technicians. So then I, I got a great appreciation for the challenges. Uh -huh. But it didn't, it didn't, uh, it didn't uh, take away my interest in pursuing yeah. amino acids. 
because I just felt we could answer that question, whether or not it was important, and get at it, and then figure out whether or not it was something to pursue thereafter. And and you had to fight a little bit to pursue that. Yeah, I did. Yeah. What was that like? Well, it was, you know, that was at a time in the mid-70s. The faculty had interest in different things. Amino acids was not one of them. And they didn't know, you know, really how much to invest in that as a department, um, really even how to pursue it. While I felt I had a plan, it was going to be very expensive. And there really wasn't any companies out there that had protected amino acid products at the time. So they weren't there to help support this type of research. And to this day, and God rest his soul, my advisor, Larry Satter, is now deceased. And, you know, I don't recall ever even asking him, where did you get the money? Where did you get the money for this? <laughs> I didn't have to get the money for it. But somehow he and the department chair, the dean, whatever, came up with the money for it. But the department chair at the time had a big influence. Yeah. A big influence because he was very... He was a great department chair, and he was so supportive of his faculty and staff and students. And his mission in life was to make the dairy science department at University of Wisconsin number one in the nation. Mm -hmm. And he pulled out all the stops. He yeah. spent a lot of time out of the office, out in the community, out in the state, out in the region, promoting UNH. So he took every opportunity to help promote his faculty and staff. And uh, <clears throat> so to him, this was a new step. And he wanted to make sure UW-Madison was part of that first step. Uh -huh. So he really believed in you and he, trusted in you, yeah. what you were bringing to yeah. the table. Such a fine gentleman. Yeah, yeah. So, so you just yeah. said, Dr. Schwab, that that was his mission in life was to be able to really build out that program and its report and its recognition. What's yours? My mission in life? Yeah. What's driven oh you all gosh. these years to do well, what you've been doing? No. You've devoted your life to the dairy nutrition space. Yeah. it. I think what I got out of the program there was uh, a love for research, but I did not get the experience of teaching. Mm. My first opportunity to really work with fellow classmates in research and the research labs. Um, and I never had to teach, but I saw good teachers, good teachers, excellent teachers in UW-Madison, not only in the Department of Dairy Science, but elsewhere. And I thought, wow, this is amazing. World renowned professors in biochemistry and nutritional sciences, dairy sciences, doing just a phenomenal job of teaching. And, and what they were teaching was research results, sharing research results that they were getting in their laboratories. And so I saw that. And so when I graduated from there, I was very interested in taking on a postdoc somewhere where I could get some teaching experience. Mm -hmm. And I loved it. So anyways, then that made my decision to try and get a job in academia. Yeah. And so I've been teaching and research. Yeah. Teaching and research. And that's been yeah. your career. Mm. Yeah. And one thing you also uh, had said, Dr. Schwab, was that 
you said the words a couple of times, you saw opportunity. Mm-hmm. You saw opportunity to dig into amino acids and what they could do and and what needle they could move. Uh, what was your what was your bigger vision of the impact that that was driving you to pursue that? And, and not just on a, a science-based level, but a bigger impact on the dairy industry, where it was at at that point and where you thought it could potentially go. Well, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, just thinking about amino acids, I mean, it was drilled in my head in my biochemistry and nutritional biochemistry courses that amino acids were nutrients. But yet back in the dairy science department, we talked about balancing diets for crude protein and trying to figure out how much supplemental urea to feed by you know, coming up with ways to figure out how much to feed and when to feed it based on room pneumonia levels. But nothing was said about amino acids. Mm. And yet I knew how central they were to health and disease and <laughs> just overall health and people. And so there had to be something there, but the industry was not ready for that mm. at that point. And it took another, what, 20 years plus before we even had one ruin protecting methionine supplement, and that was not commercialized yet. But I followed that work with great interest. Yeah, uh, you always believed in that. Always believed in it because we knew the impact. My professors knew the impact of amino acids on even things such as embryo development, you know, way back then in mice or rats or whatever. <laughs> so, yeah, there had to be something there. So, yeah, someone asked me the other day, I mean, how could you hold your interest for 50 years? Well, yeah, it's pretty easy. Yeah, maybe I could have gotten interested in something else, but it's, it's still not. You know, the acceptance of amino acid balancing the way I think it ought to be. I think there's so much room yet. Yeah. There's so much room. And, and there's a lot of education. And I never, never become an employee of a company because I didn't want to make sales my motive. I wanted education to be my motive, mm. you know. So that's always driven you. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 And at some point along the way, you started working with Aseo. Yes. And how how did that relationship start? They came to you well, or you came to them? That's very interesting. Very interesting. So a couple of decades before Brian Sloan would have joined the company, Jean-Claude Robert uh, was with the company. And I don't even remember the name of the company at that time. It was Roan Planck or Aventus, or I think there was another name before that. But Jean-Claude Robert was based in Commentry, France. And he heard of my research and came to visit in the late 70s, like 78, 1979. Said, Chuck, mm-hmm. you know, we're aware of your PhD work. We'd like to fund some research with you. And I didn't have any cows available to me that I could use. So I said, in a couple of years, it should work. And so anyways, we stayed in contact. And so the company 
then began to develop a research program with me. And we did some work with uh, early weaned calves, looking at sequence of amino acid limitation in those. And then we did some lactation work and got really good results, really good results. And a fellow by the name of Dr. Brett, don't remember exactly what his title was, but I remember he invited my wife and I over to France and he just got so excited over the results and he saw opportunity within the company to develop a product. Mm -hmm. And I remember on that visit vividly because he put us up overnight in a little castle. Yes. And that was our first experience, you know, in France. Wow. And just being able to experience some of that. And, and yeah. we were in France for three or four days, as I recall. But that's how the relationship started. Yeah. And, and so yeah. this was the first real commercial interest in a product that could deliver mm -hmm. on what you had been pursuing yes. at that point for, what, 20, 10, 20 years? You mean in terms of my interest? Yeah. At what point did that come up in your your path? You'd been pursuing your interest in amino acids, and when that event happened? Oh, that would have been roughly 10, 12 years after I okay. got my PhD. Okay. So 10, 12 years. So, yeah. so that's when all of this- It was in the 80s. Okay. Mm -hmm. All of this passion- About mid-80s. And interest that you had. Now- Somebody noticed it and said, let's create a product. A product. What was that? What was that moment like for you? Well, that was pretty exciting because there was nobody else in the United States really doing anything yet. But Dr. Henri Rulkin with INRA in France. Shortly after I got my PhD and everything, I learned of him. So, yeah, in the 80s, I was very aware of his work. My postdoc from 74 to 75 was at the University of Kentucky. And the three professors I worked with down there, that's really where I got my teaching experience and really why I went there. <clears throat> but they were doing amino acid work with sheep and they had interest in beef cattle. They were getting really good results with methionine in lambs. And I had the joy really of working with a postdoc down there who was very adventuresome and uh, both he and I got the idea that we really needed to develop some cannulas some re-entering cannulas so we could measure flow of nutrients to the duodenum and then return the digester back mm -hmm. into the duodenum and so we could get really good samples and so we developed some prototypes in that and we were doing it with sheep and uh, getting really nice, nice responses with methionine. And then there was some beef cattle work going on down there too. So that, that really was helpful to me because it reinforced my thinking where the opportunities might be in dairy cattle. And then I learned of Dr. Rukin in France and he was doing work with dairy cows. And uh, so that was good. So the path lined up mm -hmm. and, and then a product came to market. Yeah, a product came to market. Yeah. Yeah, eventually. Yeah. So I've been affiliated then with the company ever since then, as they've gone through their evolution. And it's been very exciting because they've always been there to support whatever research I wanted to do. Mm. 
and I really, there was, was never a need for me to, and I was sort of criticized by some colleagues at other universities, for example, well, why aren't you part of our team? Because we have a, a team here and we got faculty from this campus, this campus, this campus, and it's all being sponsored by another company. So why aren't you part of our team? And I said, well, I was never approached to be part of your team. So that's the easy answer. I never made a decision not to join because I just really was never asked to join. And I said, number two, I've always had the support that I needed at the University of New Hampshire to pursue what, you know, time I had yeah. to pursue results. Yeah. So it's been... <laughs> A long time. <laughs> it's been, all I can say. Yeah, a long time, a great impact. And one thing that you mentioned yesterday was you talked about, there's something you said where you said it's not just about inclusion of amino acids like lysine and methionine. It's about optimization. And so from where we sit today in the research and the availability of products in the marketplace, what's the what's next? I think what's next? Well, I think we have to continue educating producers. And I think as was just mentioned before this interview here in the lecture hall there, that dairy producers aren't real quick to jump onto something unless they can see an immediate benefit. And the biggest benefit to amino acid balancing are the long-term effects on health that you repro. And when you have healthier cows, you're going to have better production. It just goes without saying. And for someone like myself who was trained in nutritional sciences, I had a joint PhD in dairy science and nutritional sciences. Mm -hmm. So I got a lot of nutritional biochemistry in that. And so, you know, I remember professors getting so excited about the impact of adequate amino acids versus inadequate on enzyme turnover and all things like that, that are going to affect the biology of the animal. You know, that was back in late sixties, early seventies. So we had that understanding. So what's next? It's, it's moving beyond this. And as Dr. Dan Lucchini, you know, suggested to the head of sale folks and myself years ago now, you know, methionine is more than just milk. Daniel, you're exactly right. You are exactly right. That is the right message. Yet we keep coming back, you know, to the impact on production. And as one of the gentlemen said here this morning, our, a lot of our producers don't have patience. Mm. They want to see the economic benefit right away. But what I can tell you, and there's a few people in that room there that believed in the story, believed in the science, became very aggressive with amino acid balancing and have never looked back. They, would, they have no herds that are not doing it. Mm -hmm. And those herds will never stop. There was some, a few years ago, when milk prices were in the tank, really bad. And nutritionists were sitting down with their producers one-on-one. -on -one saying, here are all the things we're adding to your diet as a nutrition company. And we got to take some things out. Mm -hmm. Okay, we got to take some things out. And you help us. We want you to be part of the decision. What do we take out? And they didn't have a single producer 
that said stop immunizing dogs, mm. even though milk prices were in the tank. But they, what they saw were not things necessarily the nutritionists were seeing. They were seeing the impact on health. They were seeing the effect on calf performance. They didn't know why all this stuff was happening, but they saw the impact that after the nutritionists started amino acid balancing, they started seeing things. It, but it was the nutritionists that were focusing on milk components, milk protein yield, and trying to justify in their own mind, do we continue or not? That's not what the producers saw. No, because the producers could see cows yep. and calves for yep. what they were. That's right. Yeah. 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 And if only that story could be shared with the degree of confidence that those, those producers had to those that are still on the fence. But yeah, well, just the way it is. But I think we've got to, we've definitely got to move beyond refining lysine. I mean, histidine is definitely part of the story. We've known that for probably 20 years. That's one reason that blood meal has been, this has had such a positive impact on production because it carries two, three times more histidine than any other protein supplement. Mm -hmm. So not only is it really good in lysine if it's high quality blood product, but it's very high in histidine. And so that really opens the window. It, it, there's just more opportunity there now for methionine to work because you covered your bases on lysine, you covered your bases on histidine up to a point, of course. And so there's greater opportunity for our good methionine product to really show benefit. Mm -hmm. But now we know we got to move beyond those. But yet we still have a lot of people that haven't joined the crowd, <laughs> right? <laughs> on, on the importance of lysine and methionine. But yeah, so there's some other amino acids to take a serious look at. And what's holding us off, really, are having a company like Adisea or somebody come out with good, viable, real and protected forms of something like leucine or isoleucine that we as researchers and nutritionists out in the field can use these products, pull them in and out, and see, can we see a bump in milk yield? in addition to the nice increases we see in components, yeah. like cinnamethionine. So these other amino acids, I don't think gonna have much of an effect on milk component concentrations. It's going to be on the milk yield side. And, and we'll get there real quick. If we have a rumen protected leucine, isoleucine, maybe a valine, maybe a, a tryptophan. Tryptophan is still one that is hanging out there that we just don't know. Mm -hmm. There's amino acid analysis data that will suggest tryptophan is one that could be holding us back, but there's been a problem with the analysis of tryptophan over the years. So until we can sort of get rid of the literature that's out there with maybe really not the best tryptophan analysis, then we maybe can better zero in on that or, or show the importance of it. But again, if all of these amino acids were available, not all of them, but the ones that we would pick out is like, what's next? If they were available with good bioavailability values, like the smart amino, for example, we would answer that question probably in a year. Wow. Because there's fewer and fewer dairy herds 
bigger dairy herds, the nutritionists out there are doing a lot of research on their own. Trying this, trying this supplement, trying this additive, whatever. And they might be doing it on 10 herds or 20 herds, you know, on, off, on, off, that sort of thing. And um, so the models just keep on getting better. So we've got tools there where we can now challenge those models, right? I mean, we got the models. Yeah. Say, okay, well, we're going to increase leucine here, or isoleucine. We're, we're going to try that on 10 herds, you know? And so we're going to raise it from this level to this level based on the model, right? And see what happens. And I think we get answered pretty darn quick. Yeah. But if we don't hand those products, then you're going to have to rely on researchers and do you know, IV infusions or intestinal infusions. These are expensive studies, $100,000 at a pop, which is a limited number of cows. You know, we can get answers really quick now, mm. unlike years ago when you're just dealing with small herds. Sure, sure. So, And you see you see the buy-in from the producers that they, they want to know that next piece to unlock. That's what is next. Yeah. The good ones, that's what they ask, sure. Yeah. So it's not, as you describe this, Dr. Schwab, I, I see it like a puzzle. When you build a puzzle and you put, I was built from the outside first, right? The corner pieces. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so you've got your corner pieces, lysine, methionine. Yeah. And so if you could build out the rest of that puzzle with the other amino acids, so mm. it's a complete package. So exciting. If you could stand back and look at that picture... What would that look like? Well, I don't want to quit doing what I'm doing <laughs> until I'm going to push out of sale a little bit harder. <laughs> I have been. I did publicly here at the meeting yesterday. Yeah. But no, I mean, I, and I totally understand, you know, I understand no processing situation, all that, getting a production line set up to do it. I mean, that, to me, that, and that would be part of the corner pieces. I mean, we had the product, so we had a product like Smart Amino, like Smart Amino ML, where we know what the bioavailability values are. And I don't know if there are some, some issues, you know, in protecting some of these other amino acids. Can they protect it as efficiently or as well with similar levels? bioavailability and the bioavailability doesn't have to be 80 percent it could be 70 it could be 60 it could be 50 we just need to know what it is and then we go for it yeah. and so in other words i guess what i'm saying is the people that are using your products let them be part of the research let them help find the solution because they want the answers yeah they want the answers so let them be part of trying to answer these questions and they're and they're willing to do it so i think that's really where it is yeah once we have them we'll and then the question came up about non-essential amino acids i think the data is accumulating especially in transition goes really transition goes that it is not just essential amino acids it's non-essential and they could be just as important as a matter of fact, there is one piece of evidence already that would suggest that we know how important all the amino acids are to that early fresh cow. And we've always assumed that 
most of that response of these cows has to do with the essentials. So there's been one attempt just to look at this with the essentials and forget the non-essentials. Failure. Oops. Not what we expected. Mm. I really don't want to provide more information than this, but it really causes us to pause. Mm. Totally unexpected. So there's a whole lot more to the story here with a transition cow and thinking about everything we heard here at the meeting about the importance of amino acid nutrition on overall health, oxidative stress, immune function, right? Yes. Impact on mTOR, the regulation of amino acid metabolism, where amino acids are in turn, you know, being there, they are involved in also regulating amino acid metabolism. Mm -hmm. So, and some of that, again, we've known for 50, 60 years, but not really looked at with the molecular techniques and everything we have today now to be able to look at some of that stuff in dairy cows. Mm -hmm. So there's still a lot to learn here. But in terms of amino acid limitation, to me, the end point is to identify what is the ideal balance of absorbed amino acids at the different stages of lactation. Uh -huh. Because that was the focus in swine and poultry decades and decades ago. And things are just so much more complex in the room. But that's where the focus has to be. And that ideal balance of absorbed amino acids might look a whole lot different than in the transition go than thereafter. Uh, it looks like it probably is. Probably is. <laughs> so this is the next uh, the next door to unlock is yeah. the transition cow. Yeah. yeah. So you had mentioned before, Dr. Schwab, that you're you're not done. You're not done yet. Well, I just like to be part of the continuing discovery and yeah. implementation. It's both get me excited. Both. Yeah. Uh, something else I wanted to ask you about too is, see, you devoted your whole life to mm -hmm. this research and education, mm -hmm. and uh, and and your son is actually here with you, mm -hmm. who is a practicing dairy nutritionist, mm -hmm. right? So, what's that like for you to have a child well, that pursued this field in the way that he did? Yeah, I don't, I don't really have words for it, other than I never felt like I forced him into being involved in dairy because he didn't grow up on a dairy farm. But he started working at our UNH dairy as a freshman, became very involved in the dairy. As long as he was on campus, he was taking care of cows. And he really, I think, enjoyed it. I think he's got a much better eye than me uh, in terms of diagnosing when cows aren't happy versus when they are happy or what's going on. So it's pretty neat. It's been pretty neat to share the same stage with him at yeah. some meetings where he speaks and I speak. That is pretty cool. Do you, do you, ever, cool. Do you ever run into issues that you don't agree on? No. <laughs> no. No. Yeah, you're on the same page. No, I mean, he is definitely sold on amino acid balance. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, he's one of those people that say, what's next, Dad? Get on with it. Get on with it. <laughs> and so that's, that's a fun place to be. Yeah, no, yeah. that's pretty cool.
That is that really is pretty cool. cool. I mean, he's got to cover all the bases, right? Fatty acids. Yeah. Vitamins. Actually, he did his PhD. Part of his PhD work was done at UNH because he wanted, he was interested in B vitamin work and he needed to do work using cannulated codes. Mm. So he actually ran his cannulated cow trial at the University of New Hampshire. So he left Madison for six months. Really? Came to UNH. And it was really great for us because uh, the students there got involved and it, it was very intense. Uh, project where we had to empty the rumens and weigh everything and sounds like a dirty job rumen contents or <laughs> vitamins and whatever you know I, so it was exciting it was exciting so i was honored to be part of his committee so to speak yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty neat yeah. that's pretty neat you ended up having a pretty strong influence through your research on your son as a dairy nutritionist but uh bigger picture what is the message that you would like? What's kind of your soapbox, me soapbox message for dairy nutritionists about taking the work that you've done and putting it into practice at the farm level? What's the thing that, what's the message that you would want to leave anyone in, in the new dairy nutrition space with? I think, first and foremost, just, I mean, just recognize the fact that amino acids are the nutrients. I mean, protein is not a nutrient. It's a proximate nutrient, you know, the way the whole Wendy system was set up, you know, back in Germany in the 18, late 1800s, where we recognize proximate nutrients as being water and crude protein. You analyze something for nitrogen and multiply it by a factor to get crude protein and fat and so on, fiber. And so of all of those proximate nutrients, oh, ash was one, total mineral. We, we, don't, we don't think about any of those other proximate nutrients other than water and crude protein. You know, total fat is pretty much going out the window, total ash going out the window, the old fiber system going out the window. But yet we hang on to crude protein. Mm -hmm. And we tried to be as direct as we could be in NRC 2001 to say, at the very least, let's drop crude protein and talk about RDP and RUP, rumen degradable protein, rumen non-degradable protein. That's what crude protein is. So break it down a little. So don't stop monitoring, stop thinking about crude protein. Mm. So I've given many presentations where I show the RDP content of the diet, as predicted by NRC or CMCPS, RDP and RUP. And once in a while, somebody will ask, well, you didn't show crude protein. Well, no. You just add those two, and that's crude protein. But why do you want to know? Because RDP is there to feed the rumen, rumen bacteria, rumen microbes. RUP is what's going to make it to the lower gut. So they serve two totally different purposes. Mm -hmm. So why do you want to keep tying them together? Why do you want to express bypass protein as a presented group? Doesn't make sense. No. RDP is percent of diet dry matter, or however you want to express it, per unit of metabolizable energy, you know, whatever. But RDP is for the rumen bacteria, RUP is for the cow. And to this day, most people still have it in the back of their mind 
you heard it here in the meeting, we can drop creep protein down 16% to 15%. Okay, that's progress. Yeah. But what are you going to drop? You're going to drop RDP or RUP. Makes a big difference. If you drop RDP, you could be shortchanging the bugs in the room. So we still got a lot of progress. So that's one more impact you'd like to make in, in this dairy nutrition world is the word crude protein is no longer used at meetings or in publications. <laughs> well, or just get get it out of models. Yeah. I mean, just show because the models are predicting RDP and RUP. Just stop showing crude protein. It's pretty simple. <laughs> oh. Stop showing it. So as you said, you're... Your work is not done yet, oh, I and you're know. still having fun. Yeah, I do enjoy it. <laughs> well, I sure enjoyed uh, getting to sit down with you, Dr. Schwab. This has been uh, this has been fun and enlightening. My pleasure. Yeah, getting to hear a little bit about the early beginnings of your work, the lifespan of your career, and the what's next to come you're with so amino assets. So, thank you're you so, so much. Thank you. I'm Peggy Coffeen with the Up Level Dairy Podcast, and thank you for listening to this very special series from the Adiseo VIP Dairy Seminar. These episodes have been made possible by Adiseo, a global leader in animal nutrition and premier provider of rumen-protected methionine for dairy producers who want to capture the value of components and maintain the health of their high-performing herds.